1: with questions and answers, with Pastor John Carter.
0: Welcome today to the Carter Report. I'm John Carter, and today we have a special session Q&A. You folks send in your Bible questions, and I, by the grace of God I answer them. Then we have a great television studio here in Southern California, in beautiful Moor Park, next to my hometown of Thousand Oaks. And uh, the questions come in from the live audience and also from around the world. And we're going to put up the address if you've got a Bible question, not a political question. We're not into politics here. We believe in Jesus. And we belong to one party here. I'm not afraid to tell people this. I'm not a Democrat. I'm an old-time conservative. I'm not a Republican either. I am an independent. And I'm independent for Jesus. Jesus. And I'm not going to ask any party to think for me. I'm not going to ask any church to think for me either, my friend. By the grace of God, I am going to think God's thoughts after him and my mind is going to be captive to the word of God. So here we go with your questions. Luke 12 verse 10. What is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that will not be forgiven? Okay, we've got to go through a lot of questions. Come over here to Luke uh, I'm sorry I'm going to go fast, but, you know, I've got to get through this. Luke chapter 12 and verse 10. I want to get through it so I don't leave anybody out. Luke chapter 12 and verse 10, Jesus says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven him. You can speak against Jesus, and if you confess and forsake it, God will forgive you. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. That's pretty, pretty solid stuff. You can sin against Jesus and you can be saved. You can sin against people in the world you can be saved. You can commit any sin. Jesus said all types of sins are going to be forgiven but if you sin against the Holy Spirit you won't be saved. This is called the unpardonable sin. How does this work? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is the Active agent in the redemption of the soul. Say I come to a meeting like this. I turn on a certain television program or else I'm reading the Holy Scriptures and a voice starts to speak to my heart and that voice convicts me of my sin. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead who leads me to Christ And to salvation. Listen carefully. Because some of you folks here don't get this. A lot of folks go to church and they're really Pharisees because they've never been convicted of their need of a Savior. They're always criticizing other people. Have you met people like this? Always got a story to tell you about other people. They ought to listen to what the Spirit of God has to say to them. Because the Holy Spirit comes and convicts me of sin. You've heard of John Newton. He was the man who wrote Amazing Grace, the greatest hymn probably that's ever been written. He was a slave ship captain. You think of this. This man was involved in the selling of slaves, selling of flesh and blood human beings. But he came under the influence of a mighty preacher. He uh, preaches. The Wesley brothers, those men could preach. They had the Spirit of God in their souls. And as they preached the gospel, this man cried out, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. That's written on his tombstone. Many of us here today, even some of you folks sitting here in this studio in Moorpark, maybe you've never had that experience where you say, I'm a great sinner. You know, I can tell you all the other sinners in the church Well, so can the Pharisees. We don't want to hear that. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. So he comes and talks to my heart. And when he talks to my heart the first time, I hear him like a trumpet sound. It's like a, a train, the southern aurora in Australia, roaring past your bedroom window. Wakes you up. Yeah, I hear it. Then I ought to do something about it. But if I keep saying no to God, and if I stifle the voice of the Holy Spirit, and if I get calluses on my soul, I will sin away the Holy Spirit. And that is the unpardonable sin. And I will lose all conviction, and I will be lost, and I'll be preaching and talking, and I won't care. Pretty serious stuff, this. Come over here to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. I've seen people under the mighty conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. I've seen tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands come to Christ. And I've seen people, especially religious people, commit the unpardonable sin. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says... Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If I grieve the Holy Spirit, I will come to the place where I will have no conscience. I can break God's laws and I am lost and I really don't care. Like a man who kept a pet dove. He kept putting his hand out and putting a little bit of food for the dove and as the dove kept coming, he'd pull his hand away. Dove would come. Pull his hand away. It's like the Holy Spirit. Pull your hand away. Keep pulling it away. Keep hardening your heart. And the time came when he put out his hand for one time and the dove said no and flew away. And when that happens to a person, uh, he's committed the unpardonable sin. No conscience, no shame, no guilt. Uh, The great American evangelist, Dwight Moody, tells of a young man who attended his meetings and ran out of the meeting saying, Holy Ghost, leave me. Pretty dangerous. This young man was knocked over by a horse and dray in Chicago. Moody went along to his deathbed and uh, wanted to pray with him. And the young man said to him, Mr. Moody, I prayed that the Holy Spirit would leave me and He has. I am lost, I am damned, and I don't care. I've met people like this their hearts are as hard as anything I've met people in the church like this like the eagle on the ice floe at Niagara feeding on a bit of meat or something some carrion and as he was feeding on it his talons sunk down into the ice that's like people feeding on the carrion And when he came to where Niagara Falls were roaring, he thought he'd just flex his mighty wings and fly away. When he tried to, he couldn't. He was frozen in the ice. There are people who go to church, especially church people week after week, and they're frozen in the ice. Got all the talk in the world. They talk religious talk ad nauseum. They know the problems in the church and in the world. They don't know the problems in their own hearts. And so the Holy Spirit is sent from God to convict us of sin. And when the Holy Spirit comes, we need to say, Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. And do it now. That's why the Bible says, do it now. The devil says, don't say no. The devil says, do it tomorrow. Don't say no. Do it tomorrow. Because tomorrow never comes. Question seven, going from last week, last uh, sec, uh, segment: Vengeance and punishment—is this God's strange act? Isaiah twenty-eight, twenty-one. Let me see if I can find it. Isaiah, or as I say in Australia, Isaiah, Isaiah, twenty-eight, twenty-one. Isaiah twenty-eight, twenty-one. For the Lord will rise up as in Mount Perizim. He will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his awesome work. In the KJV it says his strange work. And bring to pass his act, his unusual, his strange act. And then the person says, Or are they destroyed by the brightness of his character and perfect love? Well, if you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8, because I'm running out of time, I'm going to read this off the screen. And to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance. Oh, people are like, no, 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 God doesn't take vengeance. God hasn't got any wrath. Those people just don't read the Bible taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. God comes as the judge. He doesn't come to save the wicked. They've had their opportunity. And the Bible tells us they are destroyed. The glory that destroys the wicked is immortalizes the saints. I had a man in Los Angeles who came to my church for years and never understood or appreciated one word that came out of my mouth. Because he'd been brought up in the church, but he was brain dead almost. He would say, oh, I don't believe any of this. My God's a teddy bear. My God's a big loving teddy bear. I want you to know this, God is not a teddy bear. He is the God of righteousness and holiness who gave his son to die for our sins. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 is a text that everybody ought to get into their heads, especially those who follow the Southern California heresy of the moral influence theory, which is one of the biggest heresies ever to come out of the pit of hell. Very popular in this place for the wrath of God. Oh no, better take some scissors and chop that out. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The Bible talks about the wrath of God. And there are hundreds of texts that talk about this. This is not some petulant little God who gets cranky. This is a mighty holy God who reacts against evil and unrighteousness and sinners who spit in his face. And when he comes back, he comes back to take vengeance. Now, I'm not going to turn off the text, but in Peter it says, for if God did not spare the angels that sinned. Oh, what do you mean? He didn't know. He cast out the angels. And then it says, if God didn't spare the angels, and if he didn't spare those in the days of Noah, but sent a flood. People say, no, that was all just happened by itself. Hey, well, why do you talk like this? Why don't you read the Bible? And then it says, if he didn't spare the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, this was the wrath of God. And then in Romans chapter eight, it says, I heard HMS Richards preach a mighty sermon on this. I preached his sermon many times. People think it's a great sermon, but I got it from HMS Richards. God didn't spare the angels. He didn't spare people in the flood. He didn't spare the Sodomites. He that spared not his own son. You know why he didn't spare his own son? Because his own son took the curse of sin upon himself. You want to know what hell is? Look at the cross. You want to see the wrath of God? Look at the cross. I do not believe in the moral influence theory. I believe in the gospel of God. A holy God. So he didn't spare his own son because his own son took our sin upon himself, and he tasted the wrath of God. That tells you how much he loves us and why we ought to run to Christ. Next question. Here it is. Do the wicked... I think it is. Let me see if I got it right. Yeah, I think so. Do the wicked... We had these on little bits of paper, but I you know wrote them down here so I wouldn't lose them. Do the wicked agree with their judgment? Well, you should ask the wicked do the wig? (laughs) Okay, let me give you an answer if I can. Philippians 2, 10 and 11, and I'm going to read it off the screen. Philippians 2, uh, verses 10 and 11, so I can move along. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody's going to bow down. The righteous are going to bow down. The wicked are going to bow down. And the devil is going to bow down. And the evil angels are going to bow down. And they're going to bow down because they know that they're wrong and God is just. Nobody's going to doubt the justice of God. And Revelation 15.4 is a good text. Revelation 15.4, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. Now look at this. For your judgments have been manifested. When this show is finished, the great controversy between Christ and Satan. People wonder, why doesn't God come? Because in a sense, in Romans 3, it says that God is on trial. It says that. Romans chapter 3 says God is on trial and his own works will vindicate him as the works of Satan and sinners will condemn themselves. That's why they can't go to heaven because they wouldn't want to be there. And so I think there'll be no doubt about it. Everybody will say, just and true are your ways. There'll be no people there making silly, smart little speeches. Next question. I'm trying to hear your take on why other people beside our church will be saved. Well, imagine that. And Let me go any further. I can't understand how a person in this church could ever say that. When they claim that Ellen White was a prophet and she said, the vast majority of people who are true Christians are found in the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Churches. Oh, but oh no, we're the only ones. Isn't it funny that we like to read those things that make us feel more righteous? That's the old sin of self-righteousness. That's the worst of all sins. And then I'll read the rest because I like it. I really enjoy your ministry. (laughs) You tell it like it is. No sugar coatings. Oh, goodness. Nobody's ever said that before. Now look at Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Turn to this text. I know I'm going fast, but you folks are smart. Revelation chapter, we have a very great audience. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14. I said to him, Sir, have I got the right one? No, Revelation 7 verse 9. After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude, lots of folks, which no one could number. Praise God. Of all nations, tribes, people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Here is a great multitude made up of white folks and black folks and brown folks and yellow folks and all sorts of folks. And there's, it's such a big company that you can't even number them. Now, who are these folks? Uh, let me see. Verse 14 tells us who they are. I said to him, Sir, you know. John asked, Who are these folks? I, uh, You know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, I'm not going to try to give an uh, exposition of, the, of everything in that text, but it tells me that the people who are saved, are you listening to me? The people who are saved are not saved because of their success in keeping the commandments. Oh, oh, oh. no, no, no. They're saved uh, because of the grace of God and because they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's the only way you can be saved. And if a person truly comes to Christ in true faith, he's washed in the blood of the Lamb and he becomes a part of God's big family. I believe the word so much uh, of the great Protestant reformers, it's a part of my theology. It's a part of my ministry. It's a part of my lifestyle. A lot of people don't like it. I get a lot of criticism. I sometimes get some nasty letters. I don't care. I believe in what Luther taught in the Protestant reformers. Sola Christus, only Christ. Sola Scriptura, only Scripture. Sola Gratia, only Grace. Sola fide, only Faith. People saying, oh, it's making it too simple. No, it's making it biblical. When you start adding on to the scripture and to the truth of the gospel, you go into the devil's religion. So I am saved by the blood of Jesus. And when I come to Jesus, I am right with God right now. And as the lady said, the vast majority are not found inside our church. Just as well. Majority are found in the Roman Catholic Church and the great Protestant churches, so let's not be critical of other people. If we're going to be hard on anybody, we ought to be hard on ourselves and confess our sins. Okay, here's the next question. The Bible says that those who crucified Jesus will resurrect to see Jesus come. Will these people resurrect again after one thousand years? You know you ask me such tough questions. Revelation one seven uh, is the text that is quoted. So would you dear hearts and gentle people turn to Revelation, the Apocalypse, the great revealing, the last great book in the Bible, which is a book on the blood of Christ and on the wrath of God. Revelation 1, seven. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds. And every eye shall see him, even those who pierce him. So the people who pierce Christ, the high priest, the Roman soldiers, Pilate, and all of those wicked people are going to be raised to see Jesus coming. Oh, goodness. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Now, I don't have time to give an exegesis on this, but the Bible teaches in Revelation chapter 20. That everybody, everybody outside of Christ is going to be raised after the millennium. This is our chart magnum opus. This is our crowning glory chart. (laughs) So when Jesus comes, it's the first resurrection. The righteous are uh, raised. Christ returns. The translation of the saints. The earth is depopulated during the millennium. There's a whole talk on this. You can write in for it. And then... The Bible says the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. There comes, so if you don't come up here, you're going to come up here. I don't care who you are. If you don't come up in the first, you're going to come up in the second. And the Bible says these wicked people are raised for their judgment, the executive judgment, and the fire falls. And so I believe that they'll be raised to see Christ come And then they'll be raised after the millennium. All of this is pretty serious stuff. These great prophecies and these great truths are in the Bible so that we will wake out of our spiritual lethargy and we will run in faith and in haste to Christ. That's why I do the work I do. Next question. What is the significance of all the emphasis on blood? Is it a simple symbol of life? Yes. The life is in the blood, the Bible says. The blood is the symbol of life. Jesus shed his blood, he gave his life for us. So when it says that Christ gave his blood, it means that Christ gave his life. And he gave his life on the cross when he bore the wrath of God, when all our sins were laid upon him. After the millennium, if you are not in Christ then you're going to bear your own sin and you will taste hell. That is the teaching of the word of God. Now let me come to uh, the last question that we're going to deal with today and I'll have to go at 3,000 miles an hour. I've heard that there is no eternal burning hell with sinners being tortured forever. Then what is the biblical meaning of death, hell and Hades? Listen fast. Hell is a place of burning Gehenna. Hades simply means the grave. I want you to notice Jude chapter uh, 1, it's only one chapter, and verse 7. Look at this. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance, look at it, of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah suffer the vengeance of eternal fire. I have been with my television crew and with Beverly. Beverly and I were about the first people to go there. We have felt the bits of human bone, we have felt the ashes. We did a TV show on this. And the Bible says they're not burning today. But the fire that burnt Sodom and Gomorrah was eternal fire eternal in its consequences and it burnt forever and ever. The Bible says that Jonah was in the belly of the whale or the fish forever. In the book of Jonah it says he was there forever. But then we're told in other places uh, he was there for three days and for three nights. Listen to me. And if you can go, God is not a terrorist. Some people have a God who's a terrorist. He tortures people. He's going to work a miracle and people, keep people alive for billions of years so he can torture them. Ingersoll said, If that's God, I hate him because he's the devil. I think people have grossly misunderstood these statements, even the great evangelist Billy Graham, who taught eternal hellfire in the last year said i can't believe it it's not taught in the bible it's based upon a misunderstanding of the text so i believe what's going to happen is that the wicked are going to be consumed with fire and then god is going to have a clean universe and it's going to be the home of god's people and the fire will go out that to me sounds like a loving and a reasonable and a just God. Now, if you've got more questions, the next time we're going to deal with those questions because I didn't get through them all today, but I will try next week. Please write to me. And until next time, thank you for tuning our way and may God bless you. In this series,
1: John Carter will provide the answers to life's most interesting questions.
0: Seven great signs of the apocalypse. If the dead are unconscious, who are the beings that pretend to be the dead? Is there such a person as the devil? What is the essence of Antichrist? What is the root cause of this deadly malaise? America was founded by people who were opposed to the union of church and state. But if there's a God who loves us, then the future is bright with promise.
1: For a gift of $100 US or $140 Australian, this 13-DVD series Prophecy Speaks will be yours. Call the number or visit our website You can now find the Carter Report anywhere, anytime, on any Android or Apple device. Use your cell phone, tablet, computer, or TV to access the many inspirational messages from Pastor Carter 24-7. For Apple users, go to the App Store. For Android users, go to Google Play and download the free Carter Report app. The Carter Report also has an official YouTube and Vimeo channel. Search for the Carter Report and find the topic that speaks to you. Roku users simply search for the Carter Report and download the app free. The same on Amazon Fire. For Apple TV, visit the App Store and download the app. Reach out to the Carter Report and experience the hope, faith and love of Jesus Christ.